So today we'll be reading and discussing Tremendous Trifles Essay Two, A Piece of Chalk, with my guest, Miss C, who is I'm your resident Catholic and also a teacher. Would you be able to just read it all? Or? Yeah, I can read it all. A piece of chalk. I remember one splendid morning, all blue and silver, in the summer holidays, when I reluctantly tore myself away from the task of doing nothing in particular and put on a hat of some sort and picked up a walking stick and put six very bright colored chalks in my pocket. I then went into the kitchen, which along with the rest of the house belonged to a very square and sensible old woman in a Sussex village, and asked the owner and occupant of the kitchen if she had any brown paper. She had a great deal, in fact. She had too much, and she mistook the purpose and the rationale of the existence of brown paper. She seemed to have an idea that if a person wanted brown paper, he must be wanting to tie up parcels, which was the last thing I wanted to do. Indeed, it is a thing which I have found to be beyond my mental capacity. Hence, she dwelt very much on the varying qualities of toughness and endurance in the material. I explained to her that I only wanted to draw pictures on it and that I did not want them to endure in the least, and that from the point of view, therefore, it was a question, not of tough consistency, but of responsive surface, a thing comparatively irrelevant in a parcel. When she understood that I wanted to draw, she offered to overwhelm me with notepaper, apparently supposing that I did my notes and correspondence on old brown paper wrappers from motives of economy. I then tried to explain the rather delicate logical shade that I not only liked brown paper, but liked the quality of brownness in paper, just as I liked the quality of brownness in October woods, or in beer, or in the peat streams of the north. Brown paper represents the primal twilight of the first toil of creation, and with a bright colored chalk or two, you can pick out points of fire in it, sparks of gold, and blood red and sea green, like the first fierce stars that sprang out of divine darkness. All this I said in an offhand way to the old woman, and I put the brown paper in my pocket along with the chalks, and possibly other things. I suppose everyone must have reflected how primeval and how poetical all the things that one carries in one's pocket. The pocket knife, for instance, the type of all human tools, the infant of the sword. Once I planned to write a book of poems entirely about things in my pockets, but I found it to be too long, and the age of the great epics is past. With my stick and my knife, my chalks and my brown paper, I went out to the great downs. I crawled across the colossal contours that express the best quality of England, because they are at the same time soft and strong. The smoothness of them had the same meanings as the smoothness of great cart horses or the smoothness of the beech tree. It declares in the teeth of our timid and cruel theories that the mighty are merciful. As my eye swept on the landscape, the landscape was as kindly as any of its cottages, but for power it was like an earthquake. The villages in the immense valley were safe, one could see, for centuries, yet the lifting of the whole land was like the lifting of one enormous wave to wash them all away. I crossed one swell of living turf after another, looking for a place to sit down and draw. Do not, for heaven's sake, imagine I was going to sketch from nature. I was going to draw devils and seraphim and blind old gods that men worshipped before the dawn of right, and saints in robes of angry crimson 
and seas of strange green and all the sacred and monstrous symbols that look so well in bright colors on brown paper. They are much better worth drawing than nature. Also, they are much easier to draw. When a cow came slouching by in the field next to me, a mere artist may have drawn it, but I always get wrong in the hind legs of quadrupeds. So I drew the soul of the cow, which I saw there plainly walking before me in the sunlight, and the soul was all purple and silver, and had seven horns, and the mystery that belongs to all the beast. But though I could not with a crayon get the best out of the landscape, it does not follow that the landscape was getting the best out of me. And this, I think, is the mistake that people make about the old poets who lived before Woodsworth, and were supposed not to care very much about nature because they did not describe it much. They preferred writing about great men to writing about great hills, but they sat on the great hills to write it. They gave out much less about nature, but they drank in perhaps much more. They painted the white robes of their holy virgins with the blinding snow at which they had stared all day. They blazoned the shields of their paladins with the purple and gold of many heraldic sunsets, the greenness of a thousand green leaves clustered into the live green figure of Robin Hood. The blueness of a score of forgotten skies became the blue robes of the Virgin. The inspiration went in like sunbeams and came out like Apollo. But as I sat scrawling these silly figures on the brown paper, it began to dawn on me to my great disgust that I had left one chalk and that a most exquisite and essential chalk behind. I searched all my pockets, but I could not find any white chalk. Now those who are acquainted with all the philosophy, nay religion, which is typified in the art of drawing on brown paper, know that white is positive and essential. I cannot avoid remarking here upon a moral significance. One of the wise and awful truths which this brown paper art reveals is that white is a color. It is not a mere absence of color. It is a shining and affirmative thing, as fierce as red, as definite as black. When, so to speak, your pencil grows red-hot, it draws roses. When it grows white-hot, it draws stars. And one of the two or three defiant varieties, verities of the best religious morality of real Christianity, for example, is exactly the same thing. The chief assertion of religious morality is that white is a color. Virtue is not the absence of vices or the avoidance of moral dangers. Virtue is a vivid and separate thing like pain or a particular smell. Mercy does not mean not being cruel or sparing people revenge or punishment. It means a plain and positive thing like the sun, which one has either seen or not seen. Chastity does not mean abstention from sexual wrong. It means something flaming, like Joan of Arc. In a word, God paints in many colors, but he never paints so gorgeously, I had almost said so gaudily, as when he paints in white, in a sense, our age has realized this fact and expressed it in our sullen costume. For if it were really true that white was as blank and colorless thing, negative and noncommittal, then white would be used instead of black and gray for the funeral dress of the, this pessimistic period. We should see city gentlemen in frock coats of spotless silver linen with top hats as white as wonderful arum lilies, which is not the case. Meanwhile, I could not find my chalk. I sat on the hill in a sort of despair. There was no town nearer than Chichester at which it was even remotely probable that there would be such a thing as an artist colorman. And yet without white, my absurd little pictures would be as pointless as the world would be if there were no good people in it. I stared stupidly round, racking my brain for expedience. 
Then I suddenly stood up and roared with laughter again and again, so that the cows stared at me and called the committee. Imagine a man in the Sahara regretting that he had no sand for his hourglass. Imagine a man in the Sahara regretting that he had no sand for his hourglass. Imagine a gentleman in the mid-ocean wishing that he had brought some salt water with him for his chemical experiments. I was sitting on an immense warehouse of white chalk. The landscape was made entirely out of white chalk. White chalk was piled more miles until it met the sky. I stooped and broke a piece off the rock I sat on. It did not mark so well as the shop chalks do, but it gave the, eff the effect. And I stood there in a trance of pleasure, realizing that this southern England is not only a grand peninsula and a tradition and a civilization. It is something even more admirable. It is a piece of chalk. Yeah, so I am not really sure what he means with this essay. At least uh, not without it being random sections. That's okay, too. There's probably more than one way to look at it. But really, you're thinking about going back to Genesis and creation and in nature where you are it's the same as a piece of chalk like how great it is like this is why it's called tremendous trifles something small that's in your pocket um something that you can forget is still so very important and it makes a difference for everything i don't know <laughs> like i said it's hard for me to think of you can make a connection because you you're an artist yourself i don't know if anything of that sort resonates with you being a creator I don't know. I mean, I think the first thing I wonder about, I guess, is just a bunch of questions rather than me making a definitive statement about a thing. So I guess the first observation, I guess it seems like, what, he rents a room or something or someone's house? Yes. Although that's not as important. He just wants to draw and he's asking for brown paper. And we already have the first misunderstanding because she thinks he wants to wrap parcels. So she goes on about how durable this brown paper is, but he doesn't care about that. He wants to know about it for its artistic purposes and the brownness of it. Yeah, and I guess I get confused with the the specifics about the paper, or at least me imagining right. what type of brown paper. I mean, I, I, I can imagine what the wrapping paper is. I'm not sure what he ends up getting that is supposed to be it's drawing the, paper. It's the parcel paper. That's what he eventually gets. You know, when you wrap your packages from the post office, it's that kind of paper. So he didn't get his ideal brown paper? That is his ideal brown paper. Oh. He wants that paper. But you're saying that the... Uh, the woman just misunderstood. She's trying to give him other drawing paper because, oh, you want to draw. So here's this notebook paper. But he doesn't want that. He wants the brown packaging paper. But but what does that the brown packaging paper initially that he's asking for? It's the same one. Okay. But she's trying to tell him, oh, do you want it for wrapping? Okay. And he's like, no, I don't want it for wrapping, but I do want that paper. So after she finds out he wants it for drawing, she's trying to give him drawing paper. And he's telling her, no, I want the brown paper that the one that you wrap packages in. And I guess that's something that connects to life, too. Like we we have a thing that we want. There's a reason why we want it, but it could be for other purposes. And people might try to convince you you're not using it for the right thing. I don't think that's what Chesterson is trying to say with this part of the essay, but you can make a modern connection to that. 
And that's the entire point of like all his essays. Everything is trivial. That's why it's called tremendous trifles, right? Everything is small. It's paper and chalk. But from it, he has these grand ideas about the nature of creation, of virtue, and of, I guess, our life. And that's all just from chalk and this brown paper. Like the things that are in our pockets. That's most of all, like all the essays are going to be like that. It's something small. It's trivial. It's a trifle. And he pulls from it these great like insights about our life. So when he says, I like the quality of brownness in October wood mm-hmm. and in beer and in, what's that last one? Pest? Peat streams. Up the north? What the heck is that? I don't know. We can look that up. <laughs> but I know that it's brown. Yes. There's a lot of things that are just details that are not actually important. Mm-hmm. He just is making a list. That he likes the brownness, but I don't see any additional symbolism to that. I could be wrong, but I think he's just making a point. And to him making the point that is primal? Like he, yeah, he just wants the thing for what it is, mm-hmm. but not how other people might see it. He just wants yeah, the primal, like the, the thing that it is, that it's just brown. There's no other need for it. He doesn't care that it's durable. Like she's trying to give him the other reasons why this paper is good, you know, for wrapping packages, but he doesn't care about that. Yeah, he does care about what... What's primal about it? Just the fact that it's brown. That's very emphasized. Mm-hmm. Well, in the next part where he lists a bunch of colors with the chalks here, and those colors do come back later as different representations. I don't know if there's like a deeper thing. Yeah, I, I would say so. That those are anytime we see color in literature, it's symbolic of things. You know, red has a connotation for passion or you know evil or whatever. Um something that's very intense green has a connotation blue has a connotation so i think it is important that he brought up those colors and that they're repeated again and they're just you know symbols of things in life too for us and it's why it's really important when he gets to white when he talks about how how white is important as a color and he also talks about how when he goes to draw he's not going to draw nature itself even though like this is it's obvious it's what you look at but he's using nature just as inspiration what comes from nature, the feelings of it, but it's not actually what he draws. He's not going to draw the sunset or the cows. He's drawing these other things. He talks about demons and angels and saints and um, the soul of the cow, not the actual cow itself. Like You're using nature as that inspiration to point you to something deeper. And I think that's something you can say about God too. You look at the creation to point to the creator. Mm-hmm. I, I think I get this, but I don't know if there's uh, some even more deeper meaning to the once I plan to write a book of poems entirely about the things in my pocket, but I found it would be too long and the age of the great epics is past. Is that just a joke? It, it's a joke, but it's also true, too. You can write so much about what's so small and what seems trivial, but it's a joke. It's, it's him also being very witty. That's how he writes. I was chuckling as I was reading this out loud, too. It is still humorous after all this time. I could write a book of poems entirely about the things that are in my pockets, I think. Let's see. Um... It is a straightforward essay. The lessons from it or insights are straightforward, I think. But it's just what you want to get out of it, how you can connect it to your life today. Or just like what it resonates in with you. Mm. What is that word? So virtue, yeah, that's the idea with color, right? 
that's what I put down for my notes. Like white is its own color. It's not just the absence of color. So like virtue, it's a thing of itself. It's not just absence of evil, of vices. Um, it's something in of itself. It's not just the absence of vices or the avoidance of moral dangers. Virtue is a vivid and separate thing like pain or a particular smell. Same like mercy, same like chastity, goodness. And I think when he talks about later, you know, he's looking for the white chalk, which is a stand-in for white being a color, things like virtue and um, these other things that are mentioned. It's actually everywhere around us. We just need to see it. So what's the, this, the Joan of Art part? It just means, so, so chastity is, does not mean abstention from sexual wrong, which is true. Uh, to actually be chaste and practice that, it doesn't mean like you're just abstaining from sex. It's a whole virtue in itself. And it's just a reference to Joan of Arc. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her story. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, but just like, the, like it's passionate, it's flaming. You know, she was burned at the stake, mm-hmm. you know. So it brings up those ideas too of being sacrificial for yourself and for the greater glory of God. Not like Jan Hus. Yeah, but I think it's it's some nuggets to reflect on that it's simple things, small things, but it draws us to a greater attention to what our life is like. And we really are surrounded by goodness, by virtue. We just need to see it. Uh, I guess I like the and yet without white my... My absurd oh. yeah, little pictures would be as pointless as the world would be if there were no good people in it. That that really is a good summation of this essay, too. We need the white as a color. Without it, our lives are pointless, in a way. The virtues and everything. All the virtues, yeah. And that makes sense. Um, we do associate white with purity. Um, the only thing that would be like a cultural difference is where he talks about if white was really blank and colorless, um, it would be used instead of black for funerals. That's a very Western thinking, you know, black for funerals. Yeah, I was about to say, you know, isn't the Asian culture stuff the opposite with that? But there's a reason for that, too. So that also goes into like non like a non-Christian perspective, I guess. What, what, what would that uh, be? I don't know if you have any elaboration with that since you brought that up. I mean, I could be wrong, but it's, you know, the idea of dispelling ghosts and demons. So hmm. but why is uh, black the positive in, in the, uh, the Asian cultures? Is it, though? Or neutral? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's neutral. Red is the like optimistic color. Yeah. yeah. So we do have the Western perspective here regarding colors. So. Yeah, especially with red. It's like, isn't red considered bad to in it's also, Western? It's also just like the idea of fire and blood. So it doesn't always have to be bad. You have the fire of the Holy Spirit, blood of the martyrs. It doesn't always have to be evil, but I think there's an association with just Fire, passion. Fire could be good or bad. Yeah, well, I guess uh, move on to the next one unless you have something to sum up. No, I think this was good. This was uh, the entirety of the essay. And me going, eh? Nani? That's okay. I do that all the time, too. Imagine a gentleman in mid-ocean washing, wishing that he had brought some salt water for him for his chemical experience. 